The following is a complimentary excerpt of this week's edition of the Friday Focus podcast by The Monk Debates. To access full-length editions of each and every episode, along with all kinds of great additional benefits and perks, become a donor to The Monk Debates. You can do that for as little as $25 a year, and you'll receive each and every year 50 Friday Focus episodes at full length. It's all available right now on our website in just a few simple clicks. www.themonkdebates.com. Look for the Friday Focus option in our navigation bar, the top right of the website. Make your donation and we will send you each and every Friday a link to listen to the full-length edition of this program. Thanks in advance for your generous contribution. Hello, Monk members. Rudyard Griffiths here, your host and moderator. Welcome to this, the regular Friday Focus podcast. This is the program each and every week where we check in with Janice Grossstein, the founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs, an internationally renowned scholar and author. We dig into the big issues and ideas moving the news and hopefully leave you with some new analysis and insights. Janice, great to be in conversation with you again. Where are we finding you today? We, you are finding me in bright, sunny Toronto with a little bit of snow forecast. But you know what, Rudyard? I would rather be here than in Silicon Valley this week. <laughs> well, I'm staring out over a pretty kind of battered and busted up Sanibel Island off the coast of uh, southwest Florida down here uh, to view what happened after a remarkable hurricane slammed into the Fort Myers area last fall, I can report, Janice, that um, a kind of pandemic vibe, <laughs> not a lot of people around, which to tell you the truth, I'm kind of liking. But let's go, uh, let's go over to um, the West Coast of Silicon Valley and what we saw this week and try to add something new to this conversation because everyone has obviously been glued to the ongoing turmoil in the American banking sector as a result of the failure, the collapse of this um, Silicon Valley Valley Bank and the knock-on effects to other banks and also now Credit Suisse in Switzerland having to be bailed out by the Swiss National Bank. Janice, how does the rest of the world look at this? I have a thesis, a view I want your, your gut check on. I think the rest of the world sees these kind of decades, seemingly every 10 years, financial crises coming out of the United States and is just sick of it and is increasingly dismissive about U.S. economic leadership. Forget political, diplomatic, military, all of that. This is a real blow, in my view, to U.S. global economic prestige, and it's a boon for China. I could not agree with you more, Roger. Frankly, um, when the story first started, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was, uh, I couldn't believe it because our listeners know well. Frankly, this was just stupid mistakes in many cases, right? Uh, but you look at the United States from outside, uh, what the United States has claimed, what justification, it is a leader in the innovation economy. That is its biggest um economic uh, attraction to the world it pioneers new technologies it commercializes them it develops them and for this to happen in that sector 
this it seems to me this is just a, a gift to the Chinese government. The Chinese government began in 2009 saying that uh, the United States was in terminal decline and this was going to be China's century. Why was that? They drew that conclusion from the mayhem in the U.S. financial sector. The competition is now focused keenly on technology. So, oh my Lord, Rudyard, to have the Silicon Valley Bank set off yet another panic. The Chinese will make take every advantage of this and say, you cannot trust the United States. You can't trust the U.S. financial system. And if this is what's funding their innovation economy, uh, we're on a winning streak. Yeah, I think the other thing to realize I've been thinking about is the response of the U.S. Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve, the federal uh, insurance uh, scheme for banks. Was it effectively to extend the government's um, bailout provisions from the systemic banks, those were the big banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, huge deposits, way larger than than Silicon Valley Bank, to effectively every bank. And it's a, it, it's a playbook that we keep seeing repeated in Europe and the United States, which is the privatization of profits and the socialization of risk. And... I just, I just think there are costs to this that model. There are costs politically. There's anger um, that you can see. It's, it's got a bit of a partisan divide in the United States over this bailout between Democrats and Republicans. But it also just goes to, you know, how dynamic, how vibrant, how real is American capitalism when it seems to serially bump into itself in the night and cause some kind of grievous injury. And then when that happens, what's the response? Well, the response isn't to uh, ask these depositors, many of them, you know, multi, multi hundred million dollar venture capital funds to even take a a 5% loss in their deposit, even a 10% loss to show some moral hazard, some responsibility for the risks that they were taking. They were getting interest on their deposits, Janice, of almost 6%. And I think anyone knows who looked at their bank accounts and investing money over the last couple of years. If you're getting 6%, that reward came with a risk. And yet here it is, Janice. Everyone's made whole. There's no price discovery. Um, Yes, the shareholders of the bank were wiped out, the bondholders. But this strikes me, Janice, as just a string that we just keep playing out and out and out. And I worry about the long-term consequences for our economies, for this thing called capitalism, which is supposed to be one of our big competitive advantages vis-a-vis China and the rest of the world. Let me backtrack just a little bit here, Roger, just to highlight the difference between 2007-2009 and what we're seeing now. So, the frankly, as you rightly just said, every depositor now is fully insured for all intents and purposes, if they're in anything but a mom and pop uh, local bank. $22 trillion worth of assets now effectively guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. That's right. That's where we are now. What's funding that, um, I'm not going to use the word bailout, 
because it's not U.S. government money and it's not taxpayer money. Let's just look at this. So where's the risk now that banks are taxed? And there's a fund which has effectively covered these depositors. But in what world is this fund going to be big enough to, in the future to deal with the systemic risk of making literally every depositor whole, no matter where you decide to put your money? And, and think about the moral hazard for a minute. Uh, I, I, you can see that I um, was not happy by, uh, with what happened. You put your money in any bank you want. And if you can get seven, eight, nine percent risk, go ahead and get it. Because if it goes bust in effect, um, it's going to be covered um, by a so-called fund that financial companies are going to pay into, which have no capacity really to manage it. And just there's terrible, um, Roger, to me, terrible moral hazard here, frankly. I don't understand the decision. I agree with you. There had to be some risk that the depositors were running when they were getting that kind of interest. And let's just add one other piece to this. Silicon Valley Bank had the highest level by an enormous stretch of uninsured deposits. Well, you know that when you put your money in the bank and Here's the Enron shower curtain. The Enron shower curtain was a famous shower curtain that cost $14,000 that um, an executive at Enron bought for his bathroom. And that's what killed uh, Enron in the end because average people just couldn't relate to this. The Silicon Valley Bank was giving mortgages at low rates for these investors to buy multi-million dollar homes in Silicon Valley. Now, if this doesn't infuriate middle America, nothing will, frankly. So globally, a disaster. Locally, in terms of U.S. domestic politics, just red meat for people who can't understand how a system is structured this way. And I can't either. Yeah, I, Janice, I, on the segment, we're, we're going to violently agree with each other. I, you know, the cynical side of me thinks the reason this bailout happened so quickly and all the depositors made whole is, you know, this bank and its clients represented some of the largest donors to the Democratic Party, to the presidential campaign of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, to key senators. I'm sure there was a flurry of calls uh, out from Silicon Valley into Washington saying, you know, in a sense, you're going to kill the entire tech infrastructure uh, in the United States. You're going to set us back a decade. Look, I don't know enough to know whether those arguments are true enough, but I think those arguments could have been weaponized and exaggerated to intimidate and pressure uh, Washington politicians and bureaucrats who probably don't really know what they don't really know about the tech infrastructure and Silicon Valley banks role in it, et cetera, et cetera. The end result, though, is what you summarize it is the abrogation of moral hazard it's the guaranteeing now of all bank deposits in the united states uh and, and just to me janice like i know in canada there's a hundred thousand dollar limit of insurance per account and if i guess i really wanted to be kind of squirrely and you know a can of beans run to the hills kind of guy, I would spread my money out each bank with $100,000 if I was lucky enough to fill up the big five and have all my money insured. But I don't do that. None of us do, does. But at the same time, 
I don't know. I don't assume that all my money is insured at my bank. I, I assume that in a worst case scenario, some you know collapse of the full faith and credit of the Canadian government, it's quite possible there, just like what happened in Cyprus in 2011, there would be some exceptional tax uh, levied on you know bank accounts over X amount or whatever. Th- these things happen. At the end of the day, you know, when stuff goes wrong, bills have to be paid. And again, I just go back to this thing of privatizing profit and socializing risk. And this is just to me such a quintessential example because these were some of the richest, most powerful, most pampered people in the entire U.S. economy who who were part of this bank, who ran it, who were its clients, who were its depositors. And if these people in this instance can't even have a scintilla of some price for their actions and the consequences of being involved in this, and instead it all has to be socialized, because it's going to be all the small bank accounts of small Americans that are going to have to pay into this fund, which, as you said, $25 billion is nowhere near the the implied risk of $22 trillion worth of deposits. I'll give you the last word on this. Word on this one, Roger, I don't understand the financial model going forward because once you've done this, you've got to raise the tax on banks. <laughs> to be able to say no U.S. government money went into this. That's number one. And therefore, banks themselves become less profitable in a very competitive market. Nobody's talking about that part of it. Secondly, briefly, as you know, some of the key regulation um, was unrolled, was rolled back by the Trump administration. I can assure you that regulators are sharpening their pencils. And what's going to be regulated going forward are not, what is a systemic bank? Every bank is a systemic bank, um, if you look at this model. And thirdly, if you actually look, um, and I don't want to minimize it, but nevertheless, if you look at what ha- what depositors did, They got their money on Monday or Tuesday, although um, the bank is saying, well, payments are slow. Where do they go? Uh, To Jamie Dimon and other of the biggest banks, they were able to move those deposits to meet payroll. Well, the innovation economy wouldn't have died, frankly, if there was some surcharge. And some of the big banks, it's really, there's another interesting story nobody's talking about. Over the weekend, when they were desperately looking for a buyer uh, for the Silicon Valley Bank, the big banks didn't touch it because they're collecting depositors. Right. It's totally in their interest. Of course it is. And not only are they collecting depositors, they are scooping up employees at the Silicon Valley Bank, many of them really well connected into the valley and into these companies, know everybody. Everybody wins here except the deposit holders who are paying the tax um across the system to sustain this Which kind are of your responsibility. Deposit holders of the Silicon Valley no. Bank of California. Janice, great insights. My final takeaway is, you know, this all kind of feels like plutocracy. You know, big word means rule the rich. Um, you just wonder in if this is the moment in Joe Biden's America with, with Democrats in control of the White House and the regulatory framework to respond to this banking crisis, why wasn't this the moment to kind of assert the public interest, assert the moral hazard, uh, start talking about pushing back against uh unacceptable risk-taking, unacceptable profiteering 
by some of the most wealthy and powerful corporations and individuals in America. It didn't happen. It surprises me. That worries me about the future trajectory of American democracy. Well, look, when we come back from the break for Monk Donors, we're going to have a fun one-two punch. We're going to talk about this surprising tie-up, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, What's going on here? Why are they uh, seemingly reopening, reengaging diplomatically? What's China's role in all this? And then we'll talk about the special rapporteur. It's a new term, a new position created by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to investigate Chinese election interference. This person has been named. Janice and I may have different views on their suitability for the job. We'll have all that for you right after this break. Thanks for listening to this excerpt of the Friday Focus podcast. To get full-length editions of each and every episode of this program, simply go to our website, www.themonkdebates.com click on the Friday Focus tab in our navigation on the top right of the site make a donation as little as $25 a year or 50 cents an episode and we'll send you not only the full length editions of each and every Friday Focus podcast but all kinds of special offers, perks, access to events and additional content. Again, you can do that right now by becoming a donor to the Monk Debates at www.monkdebates.com.